This episode and all of our Sundance coverage is brought to you by Rode Microphones. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco, and you are listening to the No Film School Podcast. For all intents and purposes, the Sundance Film Festival is the holy grail for many short filmmakers around the world. Need proof? Just take a look at the number of entries to this year's competition. 9,000. It would take an army to sift through that much content, or at least a highly dedicated and skilled team of programmers. Even with that sort of team in place in Park City, it seems like there has to be some element of luck involved with getting into Sundance. Then you see shorts like Dawn of the Deaf, Hyrot, and Shinob, and realize all it takes is enormous dedication to telling your story. From conception, your vision has to be totally in place, and in execution, you must be swift and resourceful. Forget drones, relevant social issues, or gimmicky lens tricks. As Sundance short film programmer Emily Doe put it, we are looking for what the story and what the style is. We don't care if your budget was $100 or $100,000. My good friend Oakley Anderson Moore joined in to help lead this roundtable, and we assembled a great group of short filmmakers live at Sundance, including Rob Savage, Jed Shepard, and Douglas Cox from Dawn of the Deaf, a sign language zombie movie made with the deaf community in London, native filmmaker Lyle Corbin Jr., whose latest short, Shanab, marks his 15th such endeavor, and Jessica Bashir and Charlie Hoxie rounding it out with their film Hyrat, detailing the strange nightly ritual of an Ethiopian man who feeds hyenas with meat dangling from a stick in his mouth. The result is a fascinating dissection into the steps each filmmaker took to find their place at Sundance. We're confident you'll find more than a few nuggets of advice in here to aid your own short filmmaking projects. Enjoy! This is Oakley Anderson Moore from No Film School. I am sitting at a table with John Fusco and a bunch of very talented filmmakers who have short films in Sundance this year. Congratulations, everyone. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. For people listening home, why don't you each introduce yourselves, um, tell us your film, and just a little bit about what it is. Sure. So I'm Rob Savage. I wrote and directed Dawn of the Deaf, which is showing in Shorts Program 3. And it's a, it's a sign language zombie movie we made with the deaf community in London. Uh, yeah, do you, uh, Jed, Jed, it's your original idea. Why don't you speak a little bit about it? Yeah, my name is Jed Shepherd. Um, I came up with this uh, bizarre idea, gave it to Rob, and he's made it beautiful. Um, it's really, you'd think it'd be a hard sell, but everyone seems to be embracing it, which is I'm really so happy about. Um, we just screened it at Sundance uh, just now, and it went down a, a real treat. So it's great, yeah. Um, Dougie? Um, yeah, I'll just, I'm Douglas uh, Cox, I'm the producer, and I remember the very phone call when Rob spoke to me after speaking with Jed to say, now don't, don't hang up on this, but uh, how do you feel about doing a horror film in sign language? Um, and it was hooked from there. Um, and I guess, yeah, Dawn of the Deaf, um, from a tagline point of view, when a, when a strange sound wipes out the hearing population, a group of deaf people must kind of band together to survive. Hi, so my name is uh, Jessica Bashir. I'm here with uh, my short film, Hyrat, uh, which had its uh, world premiere. On the 19th, uh, we are uh, screening in uh, Shorts Program 1. Um, and it's a story about uh, one man's nightly ritual of bonding with hyenas uh, in the outskirts of uh, the walled city of Harar in Ethiopia. And I'm Charlie Hoxie, editor of Hyrat. Pleased to be here. Um, I'm Lyle Corbine. I wrote and directed a film called Shinab. It showed in Shorts Program 3. Um, it's just about a really sad Native American kid. Yeah, and we, I can't wait to break these down. So, um, you know, one thing, like, 
I'm just curious, you know, there's like 9,000 submissions and you guys made films that uh, got chosen, got picked. What was your first reaction when you found out you got in? Well, I mean, because our, our film's been showing for about a year, so we were, we were ready to put it online. So you didn't even care. You were like, oh, no, another no, no, film no. festival. Uh, it's called No, no, with, with, it, it was amazing. <laughs> it's given the film like this whole second win. But um, it was interesting because we got, um, got the email through about Sundance and then I hit refresh, and the next one was this tiny little festival in Birmingham that turned us down. I wrote this big paragraph about how much they hated the film. So it's, yeah, oh, wow. it's all it's all subjective, I guess. No kidding. Can I just ask why they hated the film? Because the yeah, first, yeah. why would they hate the film? Oh, they were they were they were like more zombies, uh, okay. less drama. Right. Yeah. So um, I got a phone call. Um, you know. Sundance was the only festival that um, I submitted to. I wrote and the shot and directed this film and, and everything's been just self-subsidized. And uh, I got to the point that I had no more money. And you know, applying to festivals can get very expensive. So there was one festival and the deadline was that day and I said, okay, I need to apply to this festival. And then I forgot about it, that's it. And then one day I get this phone call, hi, you know, I couldn't hear very well. Yeah, and you're accepted to a festival. And I, I was like, which festival? I mean, as if, you know? <laughs> and, he, and, and it was John Corrin. And he goes, uh, Sundance, you submitted a phone call, Hirat. <laughs> I couldn't believe it, you know? And it was, uh, it, it was amazing. It was amazing. He was there. I, I got to say, I, I was like, John, you got the best job ever. You know, you get to hear all the amazing reactions, right? And um, yeah, I mean, he, he talked with me for like, I don't know, for a long time, or at least it seemed a long time. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. Well, I'll just say I was, I was, um, Jessica was at uh, Brick, which is this um, arts nonprofit where I work in Brooklyn, when she got the call. So I remember walking by the cafe and she just gave me this look like, I'm on the phone right now and you're going to want to hang around to find out what I have to say when I get off the phone. And, uh, and so I hung around, I got a coffee and she gets off the phone and she says, we're going to Sundance, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I got a call from the uh, Native program, or the guy who runs or manages part of the Native program, and uh, he, I guess he also does some part-time programming. And he told me, and at first I was like, I like kind of yelled, like, "Really? Like, like this film kind of sucks, man." <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? No. Um, yeah, and then I just kind of like paced around my house as he was telling me all the details, and I didn't hear anything. But after that, but then I called my dad and told him he's, he didn't really know that man. He's like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. well, we, we just watched your film because it's in the same block as ours and it definitely doesn't suck. It's great. It's really good. Yeah, agreed. How about you, Jessica? Um, what sort of uh, journey did you go through before making this short as a filmmaker? I've been going back and forth to Ethiopia. Uh, I'm Ethiopian-Mexican. Uh, but I grew up in Ethiopia and uh, a lot of the themes and a lot of the things that I'm interested in are are there for me. So um, the last time I was there, I'm, I, literally, I'm very much like a, <laughs> I, I walk around with my camera and, um, and I knew I wanted to shoot this. Um, so yeah, I just literally, this is a no budget. Every single person that's worked in it is done it just for the love of it, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I went, I um, uh, co-shot it. Uh, I have a co-cinematographer who couldn't be here. Uh, his name is Efrem Degu, uh, Ethiopian. And um, yeah, we shot it um, in a night. 
and uh, came back. Um, I had met Charlie before. He's my editor. And um, that's it. So we edited it and sent it to Sundance. <laughs> awesome. And how about you three? I kind of did it backwards because I, so, so I grew up in this tiny little town in the, in the West Midlands of, of the UK, basically on a farm with no connection to the film industry at all. Uh, and I made, I made a feature film when I was a teenager because it seemed like the only way the only way to actually get into the film industry was to just do it without permission. So the short was quite low key and I wanted to do something that showed the kind of scale that we could do, the scale that we could pull off uh, and do something, do something big and bold and in the horror genre. Um, just, just about that, Rob sometimes asked me to just throw him ideas. So I constantly email and text him unusual, weird ideas. Um, since I was being a kid, I've, been, I've watched like all kinds of rubbish movies. I'm a massive trauma fan as well. Um, and I just dis- dissect it in my mind. And then I throw all these weird ideas at Rob and a lot of them um, don't hit. But then sometimes Rob goes, well, you know that one about the, the deaf people and the zombies? That's cool. Um, and then he's just like, yeah, I want to do that. I'm like, cool. Wow. OK. And then we're at Sundance. That's just, <laughs> that's kind of my, uh, yeah. As a producer, I, I find all these mad ideas that Jed comes up with and then the stories that Rob's creates just like amazingly wonderful and challenging because the idea of making a sort of zombie film in sign language with like next to no money um, is sort of nuts. Um, and you know, you know how many, how many extras? Like what, how many, how many different locations? And, like, and it's just, there's a sort of an enthusiasm and a creativity from Rob that then it does, I think inspires everyone else along the line to just raise their game and get things done. And uh, you know, th- this, film is a is a product of everyone's sort of hard work you know there's a huge amount of people that went into this one so um yeah all credit to every one of them i feel like with rob it's almost like he's he's trying to push it to see what can people take like because this is it's, it's a real weird concept that we, we, uh, dawn of the deaf um because i am genuinely surprised at how much love people give it like because it is a really bizarre idea we, we're using a lot of people who are considered minorities um deaf people um, who you never really see on film and when you do it's like a, a really weird art house film putting it into, into this kind of genre makes it a little bit more kind of com- commercial if that's that's a, a right word um, but I, so I almost feel like Rob's trying to troll like the, the film community with his like like look, look at what I can do um, look how different this is um, but still make it amazing. I'm I'm constantly impressed with kind of the stuff he comes out with, even though I'm I'm regularly like involved in it. I just when I go and see it in a, in a big screen, it's just I'm still blown away. Like and I forget that like, I'm involved. Yeah, it's yeah. just great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tearing up. Oh, I, I just think your film is wonderful. I mean, I think that's why. Oh, you too, I, I think it's really really well made, and that's why. I mean, you're getting the attention that you deserve. There's a, like a thing in the film industry where you like you don't get trusted to do something unless you've done something very similar before and it, and it's so you kind of kind of create your own opportunity. So so I had this I had this feature film that I made and I made it made it when I was a teenager but it was just about teenagers. It was kind of a quite a low-key Richard Linklater relationship drama which isn't what I want to do at all. I want to do big bombastic zombie movies and genre movies and all this kind of stuff. Um, so I had so I had this feature but uh, I was pitching around all these crazy ideas including Dawn the Deaf which we're trying to make as a feature. And everyone was like, "Yeah, okay, but we need, you need we need to see some of this that you've done before." So part part of the reason for making the short and for just throwing everything into it and trying to trying to make it as big and 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 uh, pull pull as many resources as possible was about just just showing the kind of scale we could pull off, showing that we could nail that genre and and then hopefully get the feature made off the back of it. I just want to say, in terms of you know what you were saying, what steps did you take? 
Um, and just like you were saying, until you've done something, then, you know. And for me, it, trying to articulate something, you know, to be it a producer, I don't know who, um, it was almost daunting, you know. Oh, in Ethiopia, hyena, or I don't know, you know. So <laughs> I just knew earlier on that I had to, I had to learn to do it. I had to learn to do it. I had to um, put myself in a position of empowerment. I have to empower myself. So in a way, that kind of like led me to um, learn how to and start geeking around camera, you know, and uh, uh, checking out no film school, you know, <laughs> trying to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to learn as much as possible online on, you know, um, and that's how I learned. I, that's how I, I, I learned to, 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 to shoot, to operate. And, and I just decided, you know what, um, I'm just going to go and shoot this. I, I, I have my tripod, I have my camera and that's the end of it. So, and I'm going to go and I have my subject, you know, um, and, and that was the best thing for me because instead of putting me in a place where I'm trying to, I don't know what, I was just doing. So that was uh, very, very important for me. And like, I don't know if I could add on to that as well. Like I like massively kind of credit that as like just going out and doing things is like hands down the best way to get anything done, right? That sounds silly, but it's definitely true. But also like one of the things that sometimes you miss if you don't go through any of the kind of screen education courses and things is, is some of these kind of peer groups that, you know, everyone advocates. But there's so many cool people you meet just by process of never refusing to go out for a drink, just sort of answering a phone call, like kind of, you know, replying to an email, replying to a Facebook message, just adding someone, just being interested and doing things. Like, it is, like, hands down the way you build your network. And like I mentioned before, the collaborators, we've kind of grown up with making our films are now really close friends as well and mm -hmm. you kind of you learn from them and they learn from you and that's sort of you know that's that's mm -hmm. our film school right yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. and I, I also just wanted to add kind of like on the the question of how how did you get here to being at Sundance and when you guys were talking about you know you were so surprised you thought your this idea was so weird and stupid that other people would be into it it, it made me think about how with Hirat I think the way Jessica and I went about cutting this film and telling this story, <clears throat> which, you know, like anything with editing, there's literally infinite ways of like, of telling any story. And I think we chose a um, very like untraditional, bold, weird approach that, you know, we've shown it to a lot of people. Some people love it and some people are like, I just don't get it because they don't realize that there's not actually anything to get. It's just kind of an experience. And like my parents were like so weirded out when I showed it to them. <laughs> so all that to say, like, you know, it's definitely the, I think the kind of um, weirdest, but like also original like um, film that I've been a part of. And I think that's, you know, what, what gets the attention of people like Sundance, it seems. Yeah, I'm curious to ask Lyle, you know, you mentioned, Charlie mentioned that, you know, you showed your parents how you're at and they didn't quite get it. Um, can you speak, Lyle, to your experience with having anyone see your film? I, I get the sense that there are autobiographical elements of your film, but maybe not. Can you tell us a little bit about like that? And is that you know, do you have any similar response? Uh, people understanding what your film's about. Uh, it is and it isn't. I don't know. I was kind of just writing initially like an absurdist kind of comedy. Like every every scene, something terrible happened to him. <laughs> um, he's like trying to go after girls, and they were just like, nah. And that was like the idea, and I just went out and shot it, and then it just—I mean, it, it worked. Like it was kind of—it was funny, but I didn't 
think it expressed what I wanted to express. So I started cutting all the jokes, and then they got shorter and shorter and shorter. So it was like a 12-minute movie, and now it's like a 7-minute 30. But um, I guess as far as like what people's reception of it, I, I, um, I, I don't know. I think everyone brings into it their own thing, especially with, with the way the ending works. Having just watched it from today, like um, I was really glad to sort of see all the other shorts in the program. I just find it incredibly captivating. Um, I definitely, you know, that whole seven minutes, I was very absorbed into it. Like you know, um, which I think is you know that's a marker for a great short film. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to see more. I wanted to know what kind of what else happened to that guy, that poor guy. <laughs> well, that brings up an interesting point because it's like sometimes you structure the short to make people feel exactly that. You know, what happens next? What's going to be, you know, the next step in this character's life, or even what can the director of that film bring to us next time? So keeping that in mind, why did you guys create, did you guys create your short in a way to sort of make people think that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, cause, cause originally when Jed bought me the idea, it was like, that's an amazing feature. I've been, I've been wanting to make a zombie movie for the longest time, but you really need something quite weird and bizarre to, to you need to come at it in a slightly different way. And that seemed like it. Uh, and I was taking it, I was taking it around and I was pitching it and, and everyone was like, every, everyone, everyone engaged with the idea, but there was always this question about whether hearing audiences would engage with a film with entirely deaf protagonists. If it's just going to be a lot of reading uh, or if it's going to be, if, if it's going to put the audience at a distance. Uh, so the short film was very much a kind of proof of concept for, for no, this is engaging. This is actually uh, something that could be utilized to kind of, to, to draw the horror out of the scenes in, in a, in a different way. Uh, and it's meant, to, it's meant to leave people wanting more. I mean, we're trying to get a feature made off the back of it. So. Mm -hmm. And in the same sense, you know, it can be used for proof of concept, but it can also be used sort of as a calling card to sort of mm -hmm. show your style as a filmmaker. Jessica, did you have any intention with Hirat uh, in that sense? Yeah, um, mine was not necessarily proof of concept. Uh, I've been going back to Ethiopia for, I mean, over the years, um, uh, shooting this documentary uh, around Harar. And... Um, uh, when it came to um, shooting the the Abba Yusuf story, um, and we started editing it, I knew it was just a piece on its own. Mm -hmm. So um, it was not. It's not necessarily a proof of concept, but it's something that does uh, sort of show you a little bit of a, the style, mm -hmm. you know, the the voice, and um, that's how I intend to, you know, edit the other the longer. Uh, feature, but it was good. To, it, it's it's a great experience because then you know because you're almost you're also trying out you know how it how it sounds how it feels you know, and uh, this one was like yeah this is exactly where it's at. Yeah. So with that in mind, do you guys have projects in your back pockets that you're sort of strategically brought with you to Sundance? If a manager were to come up to you or an agent were to come up to you and be like. No, this is great. Um, I'd love to see more. Do you put yourself in that position where you're like, okay, yes, I have it already right here. Here you go. I mean, you, I think you've got to. I mean, you can't come to Sundance without a back pocket script. I think you've got to have, you've got to have the next project because it's only going to be another 12 months until the next Sundance and then everyone's going to have forgotten about you. Um, so, you know, so it, it's, it's lucky for us because the, the thing that we're trying to get off the ground is a feature version of Dawn the Death so everyone can, can see it and they understand what it is and they kind of get the tone of it. Uh, so, so that's what we've been taking around. I'm also involved with a, a very unusual uh, uh, horror 
franchise. I'm involved with the Birdemic franchise. Are, are you, do you know Birdemic? I think I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah. You so, want to explain what it is really quick for our audience? So, so Birdemic was this weird cult movie that um, uh, came out about f- five years ago, something like that. It just took the world by storm, just weirdly. And I loved the first one, so... I wrote to everyone involved with that and was like, I want to be involved with the second one. So I, I, I co-produced the second Birdemic. Um, but then also in my contract is like, like, I have to write the third one. So um, so there's we've, we've been trying to, to get Birdemic 3 off the ground, but it's, it's, it's quite hard because it's a really crazy concept and everyone involved is completely mental. So <laughs> I, w- I would love if you sold Birdemic 3 at Sundance. That'd be the best. <laughs> Maybe in the midnight section. Yeah. <laughs> this episode and all of our Sundance coverage is brought to you by Rode Microphones, 100% Australian-owned and made professional microphones for studio and broadcast. And My Road Reel, the world's largest short film competition. Now in its fourth year running, with over 500000 in prizes given away so far, My Road Reel is back, bigger, and better in 2017. More films, new judges, and more prizes. To view past winners and register for 2017, head to myroadreel.com and sign up now. To bring it back to the initial seed of production, you guys have had this long plan sort of in in mind. You also have a very ambitious um, production as far as, I mean, it looks very expensive. Um, something that I wonder from some, like as a, as a person who wants to make a short, but isn't sure exactly how much I should be investing in that short what do you have like a, a cap, like a budget cap that you would um, give yourself? Well, we made three three films, three short films last year, and none of them were over seven grand. Was the top budget? I mean, this cost about five or six. Gone of the Death was seven. Seven. Uh, yeah. So we made a few. We made a few shorts, um, and uh, like we talked a bit earlier, like building up a team of collaborators seemed to be. That's the biggest key there. You know, people who share your passion in film and people that you connect with and get on with and kind of want to be involved with each other and and create something together. And that's something that, you know, Rob's reputation really helped with. And then we sort of cultivated an environment on set where it is an enjoyable place to be. I think it needs to be. And I'm amazed it only cost seven grand because I would turn up to set and there's like... 200 zombie extras, catering, makeup, prosthetics. We've got, we've hired like half of London. Like it's, it's, it's amazing the kind of the favors that Rob can pull in just from being Rob. Well, I mean, so when I, so when I started out, when I did this first feature film, I had uh, Rebel Without a Crew, the Robert Rodriguez book was like my, my Bible that I kept going back to. And, you know, he tells an amazing story in that where he says, you know, he had, he had seven grand and he knew he wanted to do a feature and he, he, he looked around his small town and was like, what do I have access to? I've got a, a turtle, I've got a briefcase, uh, briefcase, which I can stuff full of fake money. I've got a zip wire and I've got a school bus. I can make a feature out of this. So he sat down and he wrote a film that, that incorporated all of that. And of course, then it looks like you had all this budget to hire these amazing things. Uh, but it just turns out it's what's, what's, uh, what's in your immediate kind of network. And so we did something similar. There's this um, there's this kind of pivotal scene in the middle of Dawn of Death, which takes place at Waterloo Roundabout, which um, if anyone knows London, it's quite a big zone one central hub and it costs thousands and thousands of pounds to shoot there. But, but I do some teaching for the, the British Film Institute, which owns this tunnel that leads onto it. So what we did is we planned a big Steadicam shot that starts that starts in Waterloo Roundabout for about 30 seconds. Uh, so we see all these, these cars and hundreds of extras um, just going about their, their day. We wore high-vis jackets so nobody bothered us. And then the Steadicam goes into the tunnel that we have permission to, to, to use. 
and so it looks like it looks like we've we've booked out this whole big location, but actually we're just closing it down very fast. But yeah, so so you know these kind of little cheats to give uh, to give an impression of scale that we couldn't actually afford, and just like begging all our Facebook friends to come and be zombies and get sm- <laughs> smeared with ketchup, you know. Can I just add one one thing to that because I think it might be interesting for people listening, and not one to sort of put my hands up to any sort of illegal activity, but we didn't actually have permission to shoot there. We had permission to shoot just over the way a bit, but it was like, you know, around the side bank. And so we used that permission with confidence and high-vis jackets to make everyone think that we had permission there. And we were absolutely fine and we got it and it was a success. But I mean, ask for forgiveness, not for permission, is a mm-hmm. mantra that um, I think Herzog came up with. And uh, yeah. I, I think that's a very good way of working. So long as you don't, you know, put anybody in danger, like that is, yeah. I think, a mantra everyone should have when they're making films. But that, but that's a nice thing because we because we got our money from from a, a drama school. We we didn't get it through any of the the, uh, the British Film Institute or any of those kind of funding avenues that we have in, in in the UK. We went to a drama school and they said if you use a few of our students, uh, we'll give you five or six grand. Um, so so we can have complete complete autonomy over, over the shoot, which like this film for this budget would never have gone under under a a, a funding a funding scheme or a, or a shorts program or anything like that uh, that's the and that's the great thing about working with Doug is you can go to him and say we're going to make a, a zombie a zombie apocalypse movie for for 7 grand and we'll just figure it out we had a pivotal scene that needed about 350 extras and if if we'd had 50 extras it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked and uh, so Doug just said Okay, let's let's start <laughs> let's start start emailing every single drama society, every single Shakespeare in the Park company, yeah. and uh, see what we can do. Very cool. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit more about how everyone made their films. Um, the first thing I'd, I I'd want you guys to talk about um, is the structure, um, and it's interesting. I should preface for the audience like how diverse the three films are that we're talking about. I mean, Dawn of the Deaf is a like you said a apocalyptic zombie movie starring deaf people. And then we've got a black and white documentary following a man uh, feeding hyenas. And then we have, you know, the day is sort of a ephemeral, um, surreal combination of moments from Lyle. So these are like totally different films with completely different structures. And in short film, it's always very difficult to nail anything this brief. Can you, uh, whoever wants to talk first, elaborate on how you ended up with the actual structure of your finished film? I can't explain it either. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, you talked a bit about it with shooting it as a comedy and taking out all the jokes. Yeah. I really like that idea. That's great. Yeah, honestly, I, I do that for like every movie. I don't know why. I always think I'm being funny when I'm writing scripts. And have you seen, have you seen, you know, the Limey, this, the Steven Soderbergh movie? Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you listen to the commentary on that, they, they basically shot a kind of a pretty straightforward revenge movie and then he got into the edit room and he was like right how can we fuck this up and <laughs> I really like that idea yeah Lyle you know John and I were actually having a discussion before you got here about whether your film's considered like linear or not and I was saying I don't know I don't think so I don't know if any of the scenes are necessarily in the you know happening in a timely fashion but we were having that discussion can you fill us in tell us who was right it's, <laughs> it's supposed to take place in one day like yeah Damn it! Yeah. So, yeah. I was right. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I wrote I wrote a script. I just had an idea to to like show a character that was kind of getting screwed over like multiple times, and then I just wrote that really fast. And um, I just needed to spend the money because the, the like the deadline is coming up, and I wanted to make the Sundance deadline too. And so I just made it really fast. I uh, pulled together actors and 
crew. I was at one at one point. I was just like, "Oh, you're an actor. Yeah, yeah, you're in the movie. Yeah, come on." <laughs> I think I'm pretty good at shooting things quickly. I've made 16 short films since I was just used to doing it really quickly. I don't like to spend too much time on shorts. I've been making a feature for two years, so that's like what my time is going to. So with with Hirat, I think um, we really wanted to create more. Uh, you know, convey more emotion than information about this guy. We weren't trying to say like, you know, this is, this is a man, Abba Yusuf. And, you know, he's been feeding these hyenas for 30 years and carrying on this tradition and all that's interesting. And we talk about that in the Q and a, but I think with the film, we just wanted to grab the viewer's attention and just hold it. And, um, so the way we did that was, you know, looking at what we had and a lot of these, long kind of haunting shots of the hyenas um mixed in with you know Jessica had pretty pretty long lens so she was able to get nice tight shots of Abu Yusuf interacting with the hyenas um so trying to balance those two of kind of um just like I mean to me the the poeticism and like the way the hyenas moved about in the frame um the way they would interact with Abba Yusuf. Um, so, so to, you know, that being the main element, the footage that we're starting with, um, I had a couple friends who are, uh, great musicians who made this very drony kind of minimalist, um, soundtrack to it that I think gave it like a very nice bed and hypnotic feel. Um, and then I think what really took it home was this, this poem that's, um, you know, the main script to the film, um, which is by a local poet, Shagiz, who Jessica met and had him recite this poem he had written, um, in Harari, is it in Harari in the local dialect, uh, about love and the people that get confused by it might, you know, be confused because it, it's not like perfectly describing the scene, but to us, we felt like all of those elements kind of fit thematically together. Um, and so in editing it, we just kind of, uh, spent a lot of time just on the pacing and, um, trying to create, as Jessica said, kind of like a lullaby almost with the film. So it's, yeah, like I said, it was kind of a, a different approach to, to editing that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, the visuals. And, you know, when I say it's a, you see a man feeding a hyena, I mean, that, that just, just does not do justice to really the effect that you're getting. And the visuals are very interesting. Um, and it's in black and white as well, which is has some effect that I can't put my finger on. Can you, like, elaborate, Jessica? On just yeah, yeah, yeah. So... As I was saying earlier, you know, I grew up in Harar, and um, and this is pre-TV. You don't have any of that entertainment, and uh, and for me, um, a childhood experience was beautiful because um, if your parents were going to take you somewhere, or if you're going to go somewhere at night, then you were going to go hang out with Abba Yusuf, you know, who, and be mesmerized by him. You know, just sit there and watch this person has ha having an amazing 
communion with wild spotted hyenas and how they are around him and how he just pets them and how he just feeds them and there's so much love and basically for me it was a mesmerizing experience that every time I went back I, I, I felt like I really wanted to shoot because he's one of the last guardians of this tradition and um, and he's getting older and I really wanted to capture that uh, symbiotic relationship that he has with, with these animals you know but however for me and I think for him as well it, for me it's never been been about the spectacle of it and um, I wanted to take that out um, taking the color out and and bringing the essential which for me was that relationship that closeness that love that he has uh, for the hyenas you know and um, basically the hyenas with him you know because he's they're under his spell you know he orders them he tells them what you know he 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 just calls them by their name. It, it, it's a, uh, for me, it was a beautiful thing. So when I met this poet, I, I'm there walking around with my backpack and you know, I know I'm gonna shoot the, the hyenas tonight. And then I meet this guy, very young guy, who's walking around the walled city. It's a little bit like a labyrinth, you know? And I love it because you never know what you're gonna find you know, when you make a right turn or a left turn. So I found this poet. And he came over and he said, hi, you know, I'm a poet. Um, I live here, and uh, and we we just I'm like okay, so we started hanging out, and he was telling me all about you know his love, uh, his uh, view of love, and and what just happened to him, and, and his relationship, and everything, and when he was talking about you know love, and he he started telling me about this poem, basically, uh, it, it, for me it was just such uh, music to my ears because. I was thinking about love and in, in the way that Abba Yusuf uh, relates to these hyenas. You know, a little bit about the nature of love. You know, sometimes it comes to you, sometimes it's afraid of you. You know, it goes away. You feed it, you know. And sometimes it's enough and sometimes it's not, you know. So I just thought, wow. And um, and I, I asked him to, to recite it for me. And that's it. And it, it just, it kind of made itself. I knew it had to be part of it. It, that's really it's such a fascinating story and like but I think as well for folk like what like making films when you really know your what you want to say in your story you put yourself in those situations where when you cross paths with someone and start talking and they mention something you're like ah but that is that is what I'm trying to say and so you kind of do put yourself in that situation as well I think when you're when you're really clear in your own head about what you're doing uh, in advance of sort of going into it I think I, I don't know Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You kind of like are open, and you you let the the the, the world guide you in a way, and, and it's such an amazing guide, you know, um, like the name Hirat, for example, you know it. Um, when I went to shoot this, um, I got sick right away. And uh, I was in bed for like three days and I was just like scared. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna go back to New York. I'm not gonna shoot anything, you know? So finally I pulled myself up and I'm walking around and, um, and I'm totally sick and there was a, a tree. So I went and I sat under the tree and um, it happened to be like an abader, you know? And this imam, you know, comes over and he's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm, I'm sitting under the shade. You know, I just needed the shade. And he's like, okay, but no, what are you doing? Uh, and I said, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I was here. I really wanted to do this, but I'm feeling so weak and stuff like that. And he just looked at me and he 
said, you don't know anything about Hayrat, do you? Obviously, you don't know anything about Hayrat. I said, no. <laughs> and he said, you know, Hayrat means everything that happens in your life is happening for you. Everything that happens in your life is for the better. You just have to know how to read it, and you're not understanding. You know, all this sickness is happening for you. Understand that. Go and shoot that. Be very thankful because all of this is happening for you. So, yeah. And I just couldn't believe it, you know, and I obeyed, like literally. I just got up and I said, okay, yes, I'm going. <laughs> and yeah, so this was made with this uh, Hayrat spirit. That's, that's the name. You talk about how, like, you have the story constantly on your mind, right, when you're, when you're making these shorts. How does the short, the format of the short, benefit your story um, or any story in general versus a feature? I mean, I think shorts are good for for capturing a feeling or a moment. Um, the nice thing about about Dawn of the Deaf is that it, it, it we kind of designed it so it felt like a, a tightening grip, and then it kind of spits you out on the other end. And it's very hard to do that for for ninety minutes, and I'm not sure anyone's going to enjoy experiencing that for ninety minutes. But you can do that. You can just really hit a certain a certain feeling, a certain. Uh, you, you, you can you can uh, just put put the audience in 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 one state of mind for for ten minutes twenty minutes and then spit them out on the other end. I think specifically for Dawn of the Deaf as well. The the, the great thing about it being a short is myself being a, like a, a massive horror fan. All I watch is horror. Really, um, I'm sick of zombie movies. Um, I've seen a, just every single one of them, straight to Netflix ones, and they're, they're all roughly the same. So it's really hard to come out with a different angle, and it's really hard to convince someone to watch a zombie. If they know zombies in it, it's a, it's already a hard sell. So having it in this kind of like short format, and maybe the kind of the death thing is a little bit gimmicky, but once they watch it, they realise this isn't just your normal zombie film. This is about love. This is about society. This is about uh, differences between little nuances between people and how we um, kind of deal with people who are possibly uh, less fortunate than ourselves. Um, and yeah, so you, can, you can't really do that in, in, in a feature film um, without having to prove it first with, with, with uh, a sure. So, so it is kind of a, a proof, proof of concept. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, um, like we were saying, we, we really, we're trying to create like a world and a vibe more than anything, you know, and I mean, maybe we could go back and and do it feature length. We're but we're working from the constraint of having no budget and having to like work day jobs to pay rent and doing this in our free time. So, with that, I mean, I guess that was the main constraint with what you know with what we were able to produce. Um, but I think you know it's very freeing because our our piece is six and a half minutes. So we're just focusing on trying to grab people for for six minutes for those six minutes you know and um yeah i think i was very gravitated towards this subject specifically because for me what it talks about is about freedom it's about not having to ask permission it's about doing something that nobody does or who cares if they do or if they don't this guy gets up every night and he goes to the forest and feeds hyenas whatever you know who cares you know he doesn't care and i love that because i was just thinking exactly about filmmaking i'm not i, I don't want to explain i i just want to go and do it i'm just going to go and do it and and for me that guy that's what it stands for he has like his own rhythm and he goes and he does his thing. And I love that. Yeah. And I guess like in a sense, shorts can be 
more freeing in that experimental sense as well. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Lyle, how about you? Uh, I think so. I think if, like what um, Rob was saying, I think if you're stuck in that world for 90 minutes, you'd be kind of just sick of it. Not necessarily yours, but mine for sure. (laughs) Can I just say that uh, a ninety minute version of Dawn of the Deaf would be awesome, though. We're not we're not saying that. No, 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 no. no. But but you'd have to do you'd have to do something different with it. The 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 short the short is very much kind of building toward towards a crescendo, whereas you know doing a feature it's got to have ebbs and flows and and you've got to. um, In a way, our film is kind of structured in a similar way to a feature because we spent you know. we were chatting to some of the Sundance programmers and they said the reason they didn't put us in the midnight section, which you think would be a natural fit for us, is because we spend about seven minutes with no zombies, no genre elements at all, just just uh, kind of entrenching people in the world of these these deaf characters and figuring out who they are. Um, and and so, so it's kind of like a feature in, in that sense that you, yeah. it's about... It's about making you latch onto the characters emotionally before you, you tear them apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ears works like a piece of music, I think. Like, it's just there and then it just like like you said crescendo and mm. then it's just you're there and then you cut you know with a, with a feature you kind of have to be 90 minutes or two hours or you kind of have to be in that ballpark but with a, with a short you can you can just kind of chop it until it's the right size like you were talking yours was 12 minutes and, and then you cut it down to seven minutes uh, you, you can just find the natural fit for it and it doesn't need it's not quite as prescribed yeah I was having a really hard time in the edit it was like just about the Sundance deadline I already sent it in but like they told me I could like just send in another copy once I got farther. So what I, I was having a really hard time with the cut and I went to see Johan Johansson perform. He's like a really great music score writer. And uh, yeah, it was like a really amazing show, like the best show I'd ever seen. And I was going to the Toronto the next day for a film festival and um, I got a text from my girlfriend. She's like, oh, Johan Johansson is going to Toronto tonight. You should see if he's on the flight. I was get I got that text just as I was getting through security. I turned around and the the viola player was like right behind me. <laughs> so I just started talking to him, and he does film music too. And we just start, kind of started talking, and I was like, "Hey, I'm making this film. I'm having a hard time with the edit. Maybe send me some of your music." And he sent me this piece, or like he sent me like all his music, like flag files, which is really nice. And uh, I listened to all of them, and the piece at the end that kind of breaks it from the first part of the movie to like the ending mm-hmm. it was it was his piece and you know I was in a hotel room in Toronto listening through all this guy's stuff and as soon as I heard that I was like oh that's that's the emotion I'm trying to mm-hmm. figure out and yeah I think he saved he ended up saving the film just because of a chance encounter do you want to talk about the music for Dawn of the Death because the sound design is quite an important element because obviously sure, yeah. it's a sound that kills everyone mm-hmm. um, and then I mean, there's a lot of kind of silences in the film uh, because the film's called Dawn of the Deaf, but it's the sound design that kind of makes it as effective as it is. Rob? Yeah, so so big, like, big shout out to Callum Sample, who did he did our location sound and did our mix and our sound design as well. Uh, like, you know, one thing, the, the, great, the great thing about the concept and the thing you've got to be careful of is, you know, horror is all about perspective it's all about whether you're you know do do you do you let the audience in on the fact that the killer is in the house or do you do you kind of discover things as the as the protagonist does and as, you know as soon as you've got characters who um are, are literally missing this kind of um this sense which is evolutionarily meant to alert you to danger there's a lot of stuff you can play around with uh, in that concept but it becomes very gimmicky if you're always if you're always dropping dropping in and out of the sound because it means that you can't kind of settle into the narrative mm-hmm. uh so we were very careful not to overdo it. Um, 
one thing as well that we did, Patrick Johnson, who did the music, uh, and I had a lot of conversations about uh, trying to giving it a score that felt kind of um, that went hand in hand with the sound design. So it's quite basic, you know. If 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 you're watching it in a cinema, you kind of feel the seats rumble as it as it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it's much more kind of visceral and um, you know less kind of melodic. Uh, just one thing about the sound. I'm actually on the soundtrack. I, I actually, I actually sing a song on it, which is which is really. And they, did you, do you know this? No. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a bit where um, <laughs> you can hear me in the background. <laughs> I saw you typing your fi- <laughs> No, yeah, no. If you look at the credits, it's. Um, I basically I sent Rob's like because I run a record label as well, Rob was like, do you have any music that we could use for the film? So I sent a bunch of things. And in, in that was this random song that a friend, I'm not a singer, by the way, a friend of mine asked me to, to guest vocal on it um, years ago. And it ended up on like his new album for some reason. And then that's weirdly the one that you guys picked without knowing it was me. Um, so when I, when I see this really dramatic scene and I can hear me singing in the background, I'm like, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but in the future, I will reprise my role as, uh, as the singer. <laughs> Well, great guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I guess to wrap things up here, I just really, I asked this to everyone I interview, I'd really like to hear sort of your best piece of advice for aspiring filmmakers. Um, something to keep in mind that has helped you reflecting back on your own journey. The, the first thing that, that comes to mind is just um, finding your voice and trusting your voice, you know, because you, you have to find what what unique thing do you have to say? What unique perspective, what unique passions do you have that deserve to be shared with the world? And, um, and just trust that you do have something to contribute and stick with that. Yeah. When you're starting out, make a lot of stuff, make a lot of shorts. Uh, the best thing you can do. And I, you know, I found this out because I, cause I, st- I, st- I started early and I had this film that I'd made and I was very proud of the, but, but there was nothing like anything I wanted to go on to make. Um, and I had, I, and, and I spent about three, three years taking this film around and pitching lots of horror movies and getting, getting kicked out of every meeting I was in, uh, without a film deal. Um, and the problem, the problem was I hadn't, sh- I hadn't shot enough stuff and I, I wasn't, confident of who, who I was as a filmmaker and through doing these shorts the last two years it's it's really kind of allowed me to hone in on exactly what I want to do and have an example of an example of the kind of film that I want to go on to make and when you're going into a room with with absolute assurance of who you are as a filmmaker and where you want to go in your career that's the best possible that's the best possible moment you can enter into the film industry uh so while nobody's looking at you when you're starting out, that's the best time to figure all that stuff out. Make as much stuff as possible. Um, just just uh, figure out who you are. Yeah, it's easier than ever now to make a short or you know you can make anything. You can make a feature like like really really easily these days. So I, I think people, if they want to get into filmmaking, just to make everything like make make something, make two shorts a year, make three shorts a year. Um, just yeah keep make stuff that you hate you know make um if you hate horror movies make a horror movie you know just <laughs> just experiment with everything bef- until you find that thing that you like about filmmaking and that you uh like your vote yeah find your voice and in there somewhere one really good thing 
that you can learn from making shorts is, is, is exactly what you don't want to do. You know, I've made, I've made shorts before that I absolutely loathe and, and, and I'm blushing just thinking about them, but they, <laughs> but, but actually like I've learned so much more from, from making those films and knowing that I won't ever shoot in that style again, or, or you, you, you know, I've, those, those shorts help you figure out your priorities. And then the next time you step on set, you're much more confident. I think, yeah, like leading onto that, like one of the main pieces of advice I kind of pass on to anyone I meet in life almost is like, never be afraid of making mistakes. Like, you know, you kind of dive into anything you want, whether it's making a short film or like going onto a role on a different film that, that you want to experience, like what that kind of role is. And like, you can make any mistake once and no one's going to like call you up on it. And if you learn from it, that's that's how you grow as a, as a person and as a filmmaker. Um, and like, I guess these guys all as like incredible like directors and writers, like as from a producer's point of view, I think one interesting thing is, like I touched on it earlier is, is just meet as many other people and peers as possible and chat to them about films. Because you learn more from chatting to them, they'll learn more from chatting to you. You'll make things together, you'll you'll fall out, you'll make up again, you'll have a pint. Like, you know, it's like, this is a, a wonderful community to be a part of, you know, it's what's, you know, one of the main things that I find so special about being here at Sundance and why well, I feel really privileged to be an alumni here now. And, you know, we're all alumni of each other's films that we make, you know, so. Just, yeah, chat to each other. I'm getting really weepy. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to say um, the only piece of advice I, I would give to someone who wants to kind of come up with some ideas is make friends with the weird kids at school because they, <laughs> they have the best stories and all the popular kids will have very generic, boring lives. But the weird kids have the sense of adventure and the kind of all the great stories about loss and love and... Yeah, I think Be, we're all stay the weird. Kids here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all very much agree with that sentiment. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's advice. You know, it's just you know the route that I took. It's kind of long, you know, and it's a bit lonely. I gotta say, because um, and I agree with you in terms of like meeting people and trying to talk about you know the stuff that you're you know belonging to some you know filmmaking groups. You know, I think peer uh, support is awesome because this could be a very lonely and a very weird type of. <laughs> journey, you know, and so um, I think um, belonging to, you know, to to filmmaking groups, you know, uh, because then, you know, you can see that you're not alone. You're not you're not that crazy. Uh, everybody else is, too. So, you know, you feel supported, you know, you feel you feel good about that. And then um, and and just go and, and, and shoot the thing. Create like a group of six to ten people that you're close with, like they could be filmmakers or just other artists who you can send your film to and get, they can get your, like that's that's also what kind of saved my film is getting like really honest advice from. Yeah, from people whose taste you trust too. Yeah, right? exactly. So like, trust is something, I, I, I'm not gonna go on a rant about it now because we're winding down, but in, in, the, in the wider industry, I think trust and faith in, in filmmakers is something like was spoken about before, it's becoming harder to prove. Mm. And you know, I, I completely agree to find a group of people that you trust and who trust you enough to be able to tell you what they think honestly is is really key. Um, yeah, because when you don't go to film school and you have no film school, it is about creating your own peer group, and and that's you know that's mega important. I think. And then I'd say just on the flip side of that, be honest with people. You know, like if someone's movie sucks, that's your friend. Don't be afraid to tell them that it sucks. You know, or like don't be afraid to tell them what's wrong oh, what with it. A, there's some great Nietzsche line. What's the, anybody know the Nietzsche line? It's like it's like be a be a be a pillow, but like a tough one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally butchering. Cool. I was just gonna say, you know, sometimes you just have to make the choice to wear a kilt in the snow. <laughs> yeah. And 
Douglas is wearing killed next to me. <laughs> <laughs> he walked here in the snow. Cool. Great. Well, thanks, guys. This was an excellent discussion. Thanks and, so much. Um, Thank thanks for having really us. Have a great rest. Yeah. Have a great rest of the festival. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to all of our participants in this roundtable, and thank you for listening. We are back on Thursday with another episode of Indie Film Weekly, and if you liked this podcast, you can stay tuned for more Sundance podcasts every Monday. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever podcast platform you choose, and go ahead and do us a solid and give us a nice little rating if you enjoy what we're doing here. Once again, I'm John Fusco for No Film School. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. And I'll see you on Thursday.